Hello, and welcome to the Vince Carter episode of the Hoop Theory Podcast, aka episode 15. My name is Logan Wertman, and on today's episode, I wanted to start going through and looking at every team in the NBA, do a little bit of predicting how I feel like each team is going to do in this upcoming season. And I just so happened to decide to go through by division in reverse order this time, just because I feel like we always go through starting in the east with the Atlantic, then central, then southeast, and then over to the west, uh, you know, and go through all those divisions as well. So I want to do it the opposite order this time, just because this usually takes a few episodes to get through. So I was going to start with the southwest division in the Western Conference, which is the Texas teams, New Orleans and Memphis. So I'm pretty glad I picked this division because that way I avoided having to talk about the Jazz or the Cavs because right before I started recording this, the Donovan Mitchell news dropped. So, you know, the Jazz have been probing mainly the Knicks lately, trying to get a deal for Mitchell done. And I guess a little bit more of a broader timeline, just mapping it out a little bit. The Jazz are entering a rebuild because they just traded off Gobert after a few years in a row of disappointing endings in the playoffs. And, you know, with their main core there, Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, Bojan Bogdanovich, all those guys aren't really the type of players that a rebuilding team wants because they're all, you know, not very young. So they want to ship all those guys out. And so that first deal was Gobert. They got like four first round picks back, plus Walker Kessler, who was a first-round pick in this year's draft. So basically five first-round picks. They still have Mike Conley and Bogdanovich and Clarkson, I believe, too, are all still on the roster. But, you know, they just shipped off Beverly also to the Lakers in exchange for Taylor Horton Tucker. And then now this deal with Donovan Mitchell, who was, you know, their star player, him and Gobert, were their big two. Donovan Mitchell was their offensive star. Rudy Gobert more the defensive star. They just traded Mitchell to the Cavaliers in exchange for Colin Sexton, who was out with injury basically all last year. But, you know, undersized guard who can actually score really well in isolation. And he's still pretty young, too. And they also signed him to a four-year, $72 million deal. That's about $18 million annually. So the rest of that trade package coming from Cleveland to Utah is Markinen and Agbaji. Um, Agbaji was just Cleveland's lottery pick this year in the draft. Out of Kansas, probably a 3 and D wing is what we're going to see him be in the NBA. But then the draft capital is the main asset of this deal that Utah is probably the most interested in. That being three completely unprotected first-round picks and two pick swaps. I'm not sure the years on any of those quite yet. And as far as I know, they're all Cleveland's picks. Those are all the details I have at the moment. But yeah, uh, Utah is now rolling in draft picks. Got quite a few. I'm sure they'll probably ship off Mike Conley somewhere for a first rounder, potentially. Bogdanovich even could probably go for maybe a couple seconds or a, or a first. That first would probably be protected, though. Jordan Clarkson might be a trade piece, might be a buyout guy. Uh, same with Rudy Gay. But yeah, the Utah roster right now is is basically a menu for all of the teams that are trying to be competitive right now. But yeah, uh, Cavs, I don't know if I love it, you know, getting Donovan Mitchell. Like, this definitely makes them better, no doubt. But where I'm hesitant with it is uh, the question of, is this too soon to go all in, to mortgage your future, you know, send away all of your future draft capital? Your core 
outside of Donovan Mitchell is very, very young with Jared Allen and Darius Garland. Actually, they are a little bit older than I had in my mind for a second, I think, uh, now that I think about it. Darius Garland, my guess is 23, and he is 22, actually. He turns 23 in January, and Jared Allen, I'm going to guess 24. Yes, he is 24. He won't turn 25 until the playoffs. And Donovan Mitchell, I think, is 26, or at least will be turning 26 soon. Yes, he actually turns 26 in less than a week. But then Evan Mobley is the main one, like their primary franchise piece moving forward. Most likely, you know, he's their most coveted asset. And he just turned 21 years old a couple months ago. So not a crazy timeline there, you know. Mobley is also coming off a really good rookie season, so so maybe it is a good move timing-wise. But then the other question I have is, like, is this the thing that you actually want to go all in on? Mainly what I mean by that is a backcourt of Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland, who are two undersized guards that are targets on defense. Spacing-wise, works great. Both definitely have off-ball gravity. Both can handle the ball as well, play off of each other. I think offensively speaking, it's going to be a joy to watch. It reminds me a lot of uh, like the Damon CJ pairing, but I think it's going to have similar problems as well, possibly similar limitations. But now that I'm thinking about it, I'm kind of talking myself into it now because, you know, the main limitation of Damon CJ and that Portland team was that that was their core. That was their number one option. That was like, you know, their identity was the backcourt pairing of Damon CJ. This Cavs team, I think, has potential to be even more dynamic, offensively speaking, and a lot better defensively speaking, a lot better built to cover up those defensive limitations of the backcourt uh, because they have one of the best defensive front courts in all of basketball and definitely the best when in terms of like projecting forward. I think they do have the best defensive front court for years to come. You know, with Jared Allen being a really good rim protector and rebounder and, you know, not super immobile in space either. And then the X factor really is Mobley being everything on defense, a help defender, a lockdown guy, a post defender, rim protector, team defender, can switch onto the perimeter with ease, guard one through five. You know, that's going to be the really big piece of that. And maybe if Isaac Okoro can develop a passable catch and shoot three point shot, then he's going to really help out on the defensive end, you know, locking up the perimeter. So I actually feel a lot better about this than I did 15 minutes ago, which is kind of what's nice about recording a podcast right now. So I can kind of think about it out loud. So yeah, I actually, I like this trade for both sides, to be honest. Good return for Utah and not a bad contending core that they have in Cleveland. They're probably a dark horse contender this year. I'll probably throw them in that um, section, but you know, they should be contending for titles, or hopefully that's what the franchise should definitely be striving for um, within these next few seasons. I wanted to start in the Southwest Division with the Dallas Mavericks. I'm just going to go through alphabetical by city name. So with the Mavs, their record last year was 52-30, and 30, which was good for fourth in the West. And so they lost Jalen Brunson in this offseason, which is definitely the most important, most significant roster change, I guess, from last year to this year. Brunson being their go-to second guy, second option 
after Luca on the offensive end. You know, another somewhat significant loss being Boban Marjanovic. You know, not a guy that's always been part of the rotation there in Dallas, but he's more of kind of a wild card or um, a nice secret weapon to have at your disposal. Uh, but I think those are the only two noteworthy ones. I think Sterling Brown is the only other player I can really think of uh, that's gone, but he really didn't crack the rotation much there in Dallas. Um, and they have, you know, a lot of guys at his position to do the same job that he would be doing theoretically. So that's not too major. But then, you know, their key additions are Christian Wood primarily, and then JaVale McGee, and then also Tim Hardaway Jr. coming back healthy after being gone all last season, I believe. I don't think he played any games last year, if I can remember correctly. I might be wrong on that. And then in the draft, they got Jaden Hardy from the G League Ignite. I don't know if he's really going to be a piece right away. Might see him, you know, playing some games for the Texas Legends in the G League this year. But yeah, Christian Wood, I think, was basically brought in after the Brunson departure, um, kind of in a in hopes to get or replace that second score or second star, if you want to call it that, on the Mavs roster. Uh, basically, Luca's sidekick, I guess. Which I'm not the biggest Christian Wood fan, to be honest. I liked him a lot more when he was purely theoretical. I actually really wanted the Nuggets to sign him that summer a couple years ago when he signed with the Rockets. After coming off his breakout season in Detroit, you know, just his mold, his kind of like skill set, I guess, being capable of stretching the floor, being a nice, you know, 6'10 with long arms, pretty good at defending in space and protecting the basket, basically like a 3 and D center who also is pretty athletic. Uh, So he really gives you that pick and roll and pick and pop dynamic. You know, he's not a bad shot creator in space for like a third or fourth starter. So I really like him playing the role I just described. But the thing that worries me about him being able to do that, being able to play that role, is just what I've seen from his attitude since he's gotten to Houston. Just from, you know, interviews and how he's interacted with other players uh, that's come through there. You know, I could be wrong. Don't know the guy. But, you know, he's come across a lot to me as a person who really thinks that you know, he should be the focal point of the team or, you know, thinks that he's the franchise player and wants everybody to treat him that way. So, you know, that gives me a little bit of concern. And then JaVale McGee, I think, is a great pickup coming into play. He might be starting at center. I think I heard that part of his deal, part of, uh, you know, his contract is he's guaranteed to start, which, you know, so he'll probably be replacing Dwight Powell in that role that he played for them last year, which was start just to give... Luca in that starting unit and sometimes even the closing unit basically just gives Luca a lob threat partner a rim runner you know because Luca's entire game is spamming pick and roll and he's a really good playmaker when paired with a lob threat and then Tim Hardaway Jr. coming back hopefully can just add to their spacing Dorian Finney-Smith still there Maxi Kleba still there Kleba I think is good enough to start you know with the thing I just said about JaVale and what Kleba basically did these past couple years now, I, I'm pretty sure he's been pretty commonly coming off the bench as like their sixth man. Um, he usually plays more minutes than Powell does, but Powell starts just for like what I said before with trying to pair Luca with a rim runner. And then Spencer Dinwiddie, I think will have more opportunity this year uh, trying to basically fill in for that Brunson role that they've lost. Reggie Bullock be another good shooter for them. And yeah, so I think their team is probably they probably broke even maybe a little bit worse you know with the loss of Brunson 
but very, very close to, I feel like, what they were last year. But the thing that's tough is just all the teams that are coming back healthy in the Western Conference. There's just going to be a lot more competition. Um, So I don't know if they're going to have quite the same record they had last year. I'm going to guess they won't. I think that their ceiling is probably somewhere around 56 and 26. Uh, Like I said before, they had 52 wins last year. So I think their absolute ceiling that I could see happening, you know, Luka comes out uh, in the best shape of his life at the start of the season because, you know, he's been playing for the FIBA qualifying games this summer. And his tendency the past few years has been to come in like over, you know, what he should be at or what he gets down to by the playoffs. And he doesn't usually start off the season super well. So maybe this year will be, you know, something different in terms of that because of the whole him already being in game shape, presumably. And, you know, if the roster stays healthy relatively all season and Luka just carries them to 56 wins, I could definitely see that. That could happen. But their floor, like, you know, Luka coming in, maybe getting hurt for a little while if he has to miss really any portion of the season this team is going to stack up losses you know unless it's another year like we've had the past two with people out for covid protocol all the time so then these really undermanned teams are just playing other really undermanned teams and then still scrape out wins but my guess is they're probably going to lose a lot of games if um luca has to sit out for an extended period so I would say their floor is probably somewhere around the range of 36 and 46. So a pretty big ceiling to floor range. 56 wins all the way down to 36 wins. But my reasonable prediction for the record for this upcoming season is going to be 48 and 34. Now onto the Rockets. The record last year was 20 and 62, which was 15th in the West. Um, and I, that probably was worse than the league. Don't have that up right now. Yes, it was worse than the league by two games, actually. Yeah, their key losses are Christian Wood, obviously, who we just talked about, and John Wall. I just realized I put John Wall in here as a key loss, even though he didn't play a single game last year. I don't think, did he? I know that was the plan for most of the season. Um, There was talks of him possibly coming back at one point, I remember. Yeah, he actually didn't end up playing at all. But he did play for the Rockets for 40 games two years ago. But yeah, they're really only lost from last year to this year is Christian Wood, I guess, which reminds me of the whole uh, rant I went on about last year's draft around the time that it happened. I can't remember when it was exactly, but I think it was either right before the draft or right after, you know, and the news came out that with the second pick of the draft, they weren't going to take Evan Mobley. They were going to take Jalen Green. And, you know, some people were defending that, saying that you don't want to put Christian Wood and Evan Mobley together because that's too skinny of a front court. And, you know, I went on this rant about, like, how actually I I like the idea of having two uh, mobile rim protectors, switchable rim protectors in my front court that can both potentially space the floor and handle the ball. Like, sign me up for that. But, like, my main point was maybe you shouldn't be making your second pick in the draft decision based upon Christian Wood. Like, seems like your priorities are a little out of whack if you're not going to take Evan Mobley because you have Christian Wood. I don't really see Christian Wood as, like, a keeper for this Rockets team moving forward. So it seemed like a very dumb decision to me. So yeah, I just wanted to kind of bring that back up because Christian Wood is gone now, not even on the team anymore. You know, I guess they got Jabari Smith at that spot, at that, you know, same kind of position, same kind of size. And they took him with the third pick in this year's draft. 
So I guess it all works out. You know, Mobley right now is definitely more of a surefire thing than Jabari Smith is. We can't really say who is going to be better at this point, but I guess we are more sure of what Mobley is going to be. And that's at least a very elite defender in the NBA and a nice, savvy, smart offensive player at the very least. If none of his other skills develop, that's what he is at at a minimum. But yeah, so like I said, their key additions are Jabari Smith Jr., third pick in the draft out of Auburn, and then Tari Eason, who I think was in the lottery, I want to say. I might be wrong on that. Definitely was the first rounder, though. He was the 17th overall pick, so right outside the lottery. Yeah, he was out of LSU. And then Eric Gordon I have in here as a key addition just because um, for health, you know, he was out all last year, I think with health. I think that was the reason why. I don't remember if it was somewhat similar to John Wall's situation where they just didn't want to play him because he was older and good at basketball. They wanted to play their young guys uh, to develop them. I don't see much changing for that this year. I think I'm guessing he'll probably get moved, though. I think Eric Gordon can still help out a contending team this season. He could either get bought out or somebody can go pick him up for a draft pick or young player. But yeah, I don't really anticipate him being part of the rotation very much, at least for, you know, big stretches of the season. And then Boban Marjanovic was the other key addition because they got him over in that Christian Wood trade, obviously. Same thing with Sterling Brown, actually. I think he probably won't play very much because he's like 26, 27. So probably not a lot of potential there. And then Boban, same type of thing as with Eric Gordon, I think, but to a lesser extent. Like, I don't know if he's really going to get a lot of action in terms of teams trying to get him out of Houston. But yeah, I I don't really see him playing a whole lot for this Rockets team. He'll probably be more of a locker room guy. But yeah, the main guys that I think are going to be part of the rotation are Jalen Green, obviously, Jabari Smith, and probably Jay Sean Tate. He kind of almost fits into that realm of what I was saying about not a super young guy, and he's like a good role player. So I could definitely see some team trying to come and get him uh, throughout the year, but he's also not like super old and his skill set doesn't really take away anything from like their young guys on ball. You know, he's more of a complimentary piece. So I, I could definitely see him being part of the rotation, maybe even starting. But yeah, and then their other rookie, Tari Eason, and then Alperin Shangun, second year player, Kim Porter Jr. will probably be playing as well. I mean, he played a lot for them last year. But I wasn't sure if there's going to be similar type of thing that happened with Sexton, you know, where it's a guy who puts up numbers and scores, but ultimately the team decides to move away from him, basically. But yeah, I assume Josh Christopher, as well as Kenyon Martin Jr. and Usman Garuba are all going to be getting a lot of minutes. You know, those are their young prospects, you know, and then the guys that I put on here as bordering rotation, like they they might play. But I could also see them not playing a whole lot because, you know, they favor the younger guys. And that would be Garrison Matthews, David Nwaba, Boban Marjanovic, and Sterling Brown. I didn't even put Eric Gordon in this one. That's how that's how strongly I feel about him not playing for this team this year. Like, he'll probably be moved. But yeah, for the ceiling on the Houston Rockets for this upcoming season, I have them at 26 and 56. And for their floor, I decided to put it at 10 and 72. I was like, I, I really don't think they're not going to hit double digits. You know, they've got to at least win 10 games. 
I'd be very, very surprised if they didn't. So my reasonable prediction, though, uh, for right now, I, I have it at 19 and 63. So one less win than they had last year. I could even see them going down a little bit. They could like, I don't know. My reasonable prediction range is somewhere between like 17 and 21 wins, like somewhere in that range. So right in the middle of that 19. But yeah, that's Houston. And then going on to the Memphis Grizzlies, their record last year was 56 and 26, which was second in the West, uh, which shocked everybody. They're over under at the beginning of the season was like 40 wins. I want to say like 40 and a half wins, maybe even less than that. I think the number that's coming to my mind right now is 39 and a half. So yeah, but you know, Jaron Jackson Jr. Stayed pretty healthy throughout the whole year. I want to say, I think he played almost the whole season and then Desmond Bain played almost the whole season as well. John missed a decent amount of games, but he also took a huge step up, got a lot better in year three, was a starter in the all-star game. And pretty sure he made all NBA. He had to have. I think he was he could have been even second team all NBA, but I think he was probably third team would be my guess. But yeah, further key losses though, I have Kyle Anderson, who has been a really good, reliable role player for them the past several years now. So that's definitely gonna hurt. D'Anthony Melton, similar type of thing, as kind of like their third or fourth guard. And then Jaron Jackson Jr. I have in here as a loss for health. Because he had surgery uh this summer. And he's supposed to be out for four to six months, but that was at least a month or two ago now. I think two, yeah, two months ago. So he'll probably miss around a month, the first month of the season, if I'm doing my math right. Yeah, it'll probably be something like four to six weeks of the beginning of the season. So that's actually not too crazy, but just thought I'd put it in here that he'll be missing the beginning stretch of the season. Key additions, I have Danny Green, which also... On the ESPN roster right now, he's listed as injured. Not totally sure on his status going into this season if he will be playing or not. But, you know, he's a key addition for sure. And then Jake LaRavia was their first-round pick in this year's draft out of Wake Forest. Um, I think they got David Roddy in the second round, I want to say. He might have been first-round too, now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, he was. He was a 23rd pick. Okay. Uh, What was LaRavia? Oh, and LaRavia was the 19th pick. Okay, so... Man, I don't know my pick numbers as well as I usually do for most draft classes uh, for this year. But yeah, so they added both of them in the first round. And then, and so the rotation is going to be obviously John Desmond Bain in the backcourt, Jaron Jackson Jr. when he's healthy, and Steven Adams in the front court, And then probably Dylan Brooks on the wing. Might even see some Danny Green uh, or maybe even Zaire Williams, you know, taking a step up from his pretty good rookie season last year. I, I definitely think we'll see more of him this year than we did last year in the rotation with uh, Kyle Anderson gone. But, you know, he could even start at three maybe. And then Tyus Jones as, like, you know, the eternal backup point guard there in Memphis. And then Brandon Clark also coming in off the bench. Those are all the guys that I, I feel like are definitely going to be in the rotation. And then, you know, soaking up those last few minutes in the rotation is going to be probably between Xavier Tillman John Conchar and uh, their two rookies, Jake Larevi and David Roddy, and then maybe even some uh, Santi Aldama as well. And so for the ceiling that I have for these guys is actually one win less than their record last year. Because like in my mind, there's just, there's no way they have the same record they did last year. There's no way they have the same season this year. They were really ahead of schedule last year, and I think their conference this year is just going to be a lot more healthy, a lot more competitive, 
and also, you know, teams are going to be more ready for them as well after they had this breakout, more dialed in for games against them in terms of game planning and everything like that. So yeah, I have their ceiling at 55 and 27, and I have their floor at 40 and 42, and that's just if uh, they struggle with some injuries and all that kind of stuff. But then my reasonable prediction for them this season is going to be 49 and 33. And then moving on to the New Orleans Pelicans, their record last year was 36 and 46. And I tried to fill out, you know, key losses and key additions for all these teams, but I legit have none written down for key losses because I can't, I couldn't think of anybody significant that they've lost from last year to this year. So, but their key additions though is going to be obviously Zion Williamson in regards to health because he missed all of last season with a Jones fracture in his foot. So we're going to have healthy Zion Williamson, hopefully. Really, really hope for the Pelicans that that's what we get. And then Dyson Daniels was their other key addition, who was their lottery pick. I think he was the seventh pick, I want to say. Let's see. I, I really want to get this one right. I think he was the seventh pick. And you know what? I think it was the sixth now that I say that. It was the eighth. Okay. Man, I'm off my game this year. Seventh pick was Shaden Sharp. That's why I changed my mind there at the last second. I know that he was the seventh pick. And I think the sixth pick was actually Benedict Matherin. So I do know those. Dice Daniels was eighth. But, you know, he's a really tall playmaker out of Australia. He'll definitely be an interesting addition to this roster. But yeah, my locks for being in the rotation is like the fewest of any team so far. Because they have a lot of guys coming off their bench that are going to be hard to, you know, choose between or predict between which ones are going to be getting minutes and which ones won't. But I have five guys that I'm 100% positive that will be in the rotation if they're healthy. And I'm also pretty sure that this will be their starting lineup. And that is CJ McCollum and Brandon Ingram, I guess, will be the backcourt. And then Herb Jones and Zion on the wings. And Jonas Valanciunas at the center. And then as far as the minutes coming out off the bench, it'll be interesting to see. There's basically like a few different pairings that will be competing with each other for roles or, or spots, you know, in the rotation. So number one, I have Larry Nance Jr. versus Jackson Hayes. I personally would lean Larry Nance Jr. in a pinch, but Jackson Hayes, you know, they're very different types of players, but, you know, they're both going to be playing a similar position um, in the front court, most likely. But yeah, Jackson Hayes will be the more developmental pick, uh, but I think Larry Nance Jr. is going to be the more reliable pick coming in off the bench. And then at the guard spot, I think there's going to be a little bit of a battle between Devontae Graham and Jose Alvarado. Devontae Graham for scoring, Jose Alvarado for playmaking and defense. And we could also see Dyson Daniels taking a lot of those minutes, either coming in at guard or wing. And then the rest of those big wing minutes could go to either Trey Murphy III or Najee Marshall. And so I have the Pelicans ceiling at 51 and 31. And I have their floor at 33 and 49. And my reasonable prediction for their record this year will be 45 and 37. I think adding in Zion um, on top of the team they had last year with Ingram, Valanciunas, and CJ McCollum, assuming health, this is going to be a really good team. Herb Jones is one of the best up-and-coming defenders in the league um, and a perfect fifth starter for these guys. So I think they're going to be on par with like the Bulls, to be quite honest. Those two teams are going to be uh, pretty similar in terms of caliber, I guess. So then the last team in the Southwest Division is the San Antonio Spurs, and their record last year was 34-48. and 48. 
which was 10th in the West. So they made the play-in after several years in a row of Popovich, you know, just dragging these young rosters into the play-in. But I'm not totally sure if they're going to be actively kind of tanking this season or not. You know, really try to get good odds for this upcoming draft where they have, you know, their own draft pick in the first round. And they also have top 16 protected Charlotte pick as well, which I don't want to spoil my prediction for Charlotte, I guess. uh, But I don't think they'll end up getting that pick. I don't think uh, the Spurs will. Yeah, they traded DeJounte Murray, obviously, to the Atlanta Hawks for just draft capital in these upcoming seasons. So yeah, I'm not entirely sure what their mode of operations will be uh, this upcoming season. It's hard to imagine Greg Popovich tanking. Obviously, I've been, I think I've been through this spiel a few times already on this podcast, and you you heard some of it last episode also with me talking to Isaiah Roby. But yeah, so their only key loss I have is DeJounte Murray. Hello, future Logan here. Uh, I just wanted to interject quick because you just heard me say that DeJounte Murray is the only key loss for the San Antonio Spurs. And I realized while listening back to this and editing that I forgot about at least one other person, and that's Lonnie Walker IV, um, who the Lakers got this offseason. So that is definitely another key loss. Obviously not on the level as DeJounte Murray, but still he was a rotation guy. So I just figured I'd interject here and say that. All right. Thank you. And then uh, key additions, Jeremy Sohan uh, was the ninth pick in the draft out of Baylor. Let me check if I got that one right. Yes, that one was correct. He was the ninth pick. And then Malachi Branham, who I think was the 20th pick. They got him out of Ohio State. And then they also got a guy at 25. So they had the 9th, the 20th, and the 25th picks in the draft this year. And with the 25th pick, they got Blake Wesley out of Notre Dame. But yeah, as far as other key additions outside of the draft, they picked up Isaiah Roby off waivers, and they also signed Gorgie Jang this offseason. And so their roster or their rotation is definitely the hardest for me to figure out um, a prediction for, maybe in the league. So with like New Orleans... For example, there's just too many minutes to go around, but at least I have a pretty good idea of who will be competing for minutes, like who will be competing with who, basically. With the Spurs, I, I really don't know what they're going to prioritize, like who they're going to try to play. I, I really don't know, but I still try to make some predictions. So my locks for rotation players, like these guys, without a doubt, are going to play. They're probably going to start. I'd be beyond surprised if they didn't to be quite honest. And that would be Keldon Johnson, Jakob Pertl, and Devin Vassell. And then I have right below that slightly lesser lock, and that's Jeremy Sohan. Um, so I debated putting him up on that tier with those guys, but I think he's he's still like a lock for me because they took him with the ninth pick. They're definitely going to play him a lot. But yeah, those other guys I think are even more surefire. Like they're going to be in the rotation. Uh, Jeremy Sohan, you know, who knows? Maybe he is going to be really raw and end up needing to play some G League games. But I'd bet against that. And then some guys that I think are very likely to play are Josh Primo and Malachi Branham, you know, two young guards that they've picked within the last couple of years. I definitely anticipate them seeing some run. And then I have some guys that are probable, like they're, I bet that they're probably going to be playing, but 
what holds me back is the fact that they're not super young. You know, they're not like they're young prospects. These guys aren't young prospects. These guys are more established role players for the most part. So in that tier, I have Isaiah Roby, uh, Zach Collins, and Josh Richardson. So these guys, especially Richardson and Isaiah Roby too, like those guys could definitely end up even starting or, you know, being in the top six or seven in terms of the rotation. But it really comes down to, you know, who they're wanting to play for development's sake. And then uh, the tier below that, I have slightly less probable, and that's Trey Jones and Doug McDermott. You know, similar type of thing with the guys above. Just I would be less surprised, I guess, if they didn't play very much. And then my last tier I have is potentially, but I wouldn't be surprised um, if they didn't end up playing very much. Kind of like the same thing I just said with the last one, but, you know, step further. And that's Blake Wesley, uh, who's their 25th pick. I debated putting him on the tier above as well. But yeah, the rest of the guys are Gorgie Jang, Kata Bates-Diop, and then somebody who I think even might be a tier below, but I threw him in here also is uh, Joe Wieskamp. So that's 15 guys that I just listed off. Like, you know, that's not going to be the rotation. Some of these guys are not going to be in it. Basically what this is is all the guys that I could see potentially being in the rotation, but I don't know which direction they're going to go. So yeah. Their ceiling I have them at is 34 and 48, which actually I think was their record from, yeah, it was. That was the record from last year. So I have that as their ceiling because they did lose their best player to Shante Murray and the West is tougher than it was last year. So I think it's pretty fair to put their ceiling at 34 and 48. And then their floor I have them at is 18 and 64. So, you know, they could definitely tank, lose a lot of games, uh, get good draft odds. But my reasonable prediction, you know, the range that I feel like they're probably going to be in is 27 and 55 um, is what I put them at. So, you know, basically just a step above all of those other bottom teams like Houston. And I guess I haven't gotten to any other division yet, but above Houston and probably OKC, especially now that Chet's out and then maybe the Magic as well. And I would guess the Pacers, but... I did just hear recently that apparently within the Pacers organization, their goal is to win this season, win games, uh, which seems odd to me. So so that makes it kind of fuzzy on trying to decide or figure out how many games they're going to win, but they're probably going to be below that as well, below 27, I'd say, most likely. The Jazz also definitely could end up down there now that they've traded away Mitchell and Gobert. Um, I'm sure they're going to trade some more guys, so they could definitely end up down there. But yeah, so I, I feel like the Spurs will just be kind of competitive, but ultimately not quite enough uh, just in terms of their roster. Like, you know, I read them off. They have a decently deep team. They have a lot of guys who can play. You know, I had 15 rotation level players listed off, but their top end is just what's it's probably the worst in the league. You know, their best two players are Keldon Johnson and Jakob Pertl. Which, you know, I don't want that to come across like as an insult or anything. I would love to have either Keldon Johnson or Yaka Pirtle on my basketball team um, if I had one. But yeah, for those guys being your best overall players, like your main options on offense and everything, well, I don't think Pirtle will be an option on offense, but Keldon Johnson is probably going to be their focal point, oddly enough. Like, you know, both these guys are best suited as good role players. They're high level role players. You know, basically like your fourth or fifth starters would be 
the ideal role for those guys. But yeah, definitely an undermanned group for sure, even at full health. Honestly, I, I'd have to say the most barren roster in the league in terms of like just offensive options or, you know, scoring talent. They have guys that can shoot and stuff like that, but nobody that's like a, you know, run your offense through uh, type of guy. And, you know, even these other teams at the bottom of the league, they at least have a young guy that could potentially do that. And they're, you know, trying to develop into a efficient version of that. This team really doesn't even have that, I don't think, unless, I don't know, maybe Josh Primo is going to be somebody that I'm not expecting. Or, you know, Keldon Johnson just ends up eviscerating teams in, in isolation. Devin Vassell, maybe. I don't know who it's going to come from. Let me put it this way. They don't have any bad players. There's no bad players on this team, but there's no great players. They don't have any stars. They don't have any even like sub all-stars, like guys that are capable of carrying an offense. Yeah, so I feel like it's pretty generous to put them up at 27.55, but it's just hard to imagine a team coached by Greg Popovich not winning that many games, you know, not winning at least like 25. It's got to be, I mean, 27.55, has to be the worst record a Popovich team has ever had. So yeah, I think I got through all of the teams that I wanted to for the Southwest Division. Um, and just to, I guess, summarize, I'll read them in order of what my reasonable prediction for their record will be. So I have the Memphis Grizzlies at the top of the Southwest Division this upcoming season at 49 and 33. And then Dallas right behind them at 48 and 34. And then New Orleans, not too far behind at 45 and 37. And then we see a pretty major drop off down to San Antonio at 27 and 55. And then uh, Houston at the bottom with 19 and 63. So yeah, that should be it for this episode. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Make sure to follow the feed if you want to. And you know, check out the YouTube channel, subscribe over there. But yeah, thank you guys for listening. I'll talk to you guys next episode. Mm-hmm.